My name's Liana Berry and you're listening to Art Muse Podcast, a podcast about the intersections between art, healing and creativity. This episode you can join yoga teacher, somatic practitioner and artist Sophie Ray and I as we explore, discuss and reflect on creativity and the body and the journey of working as an artist and with people in a helping profession. Sophie lives and works in Birmingham in the UK and our interview took place across the oceans. Her delightful joy, humility and passion coupled with intention will inspire you to move your body, make art and follow your dreams. If you live in the UK you can attend one of her workshops, classes or retreats and if you're elsewhere make sure to visit her website or YouTube to find her online offerings. Both will be in the show notes. Enjoy listening. Hello Sophie, thank you so much for coming on Art Muse podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> it is really exciting and this is actually the first time we've spoken or met um, via the internet. We have engaged in messaging over Instagram and I follow your lovely Instagram account but it's lovely to actually finally meet you um, although we're on other sides of the world. I know, I love that. That's one of the things that I love about social media that you can just connect with someone at a totally different time zone. When I was doing yoga online over lockdown I had somebody from New Zealand who used to come to my class and that was amazing. (laughs) Yeah that's incredible and especially at such a stressful time to be able to provide something not just your local community but internationally as well. I was trying to think about how I actually came across you and I think it might have been through the fail like an artist Instagram page. Is that right? Do you follow them? Yes yeah it must have been through that because I was trying to think how we met as well. It was like a lovely, I think, just instant recognition of people doing similar things or having similar hopes and ambitions in their work that they do. Obviously, you're an artist and a yoga teacher, and I don't work somatically at all in such a direct way. But obviously, being an art therapist, I'm instantly drawn to anyone working with art and people. And I'm just so fascinated by all the different modalities and like avenues to do that. And that's I guess why I invited you on today because I was really interested for us to have a chat and chat through some of those complex connections between the body and the mind and just your experiences of working creatively but also working with the body. Um, It's just such a unique pairing which is so so relevant I think going to continue to be relevant for people as there's such an interest in healing. Um, I wanted to guess I guess start off by asking you a little bit more and getting to know a little bit more about your journey to creativity and your journey to yoga teaching so yeah dive back into your archives and um, I'd love to hear a bit more well I've been I've, I've been an artist all my life that was I was always drawing always painting when I was little and you know that has stayed with me and I was never I never thought of myself as being clever, you know, clever was not being creative, being creative to, you know, you don't think of it as being clever, but actually it's just a different part of your brain. Um, And, you know, never thought of art as being a real job. Maybe that's, you know, what people projected onto me. I, I don't know. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an artist, but at that time when you're looking at going to uni and going to college, it's like, I don't, I, I didn't know what avenue I could go down. So I went to art college and explored that and I still didn't know what I wanted to do. And my tutor said, what do you like doing? And I said, oh, I love 
drawing and he was like what about illustration so I looked into that and I thought yeah that could work so I went and did a degree in illustration and that was in 2007 and then I left in 2010 got my degree and then it's like well what's next (laughs) become a freelance that was you know the option or become a teacher um an art teacher so I started doing some illustration work but found it quite challenging to actually do it as a job and obviously now you don't need to go to uni to be an artist you can you can just get an Instagram page and really work your way up to that (laughs) yeah it's really interesting discussion isn't it I was saying that to a friend a couple of months ago I don't you know I don't regret being an art therapist I love it but I often wonder like could I have done something different and I feel like why wasn't I aware of that why didn't I it just it's like this blankness in my memory I don't remember having that exposure but of course not because we were you know in 2007 assuming you're a similar age to me or a couple of years older so we were kind of just at that cusp of like coming through an age where there wasn't a big technological internet revolution like it was just emerging all of this social media and all of this exposure and like global exposure kind of creates such a different environment for the creative arts and some of it is obviously more challenging but I think it definitely opens up flexibility and awareness of all of the different ways that you can independently take your art making and you can independently take your work and just all the different job profiles out there that previously like you said you have to talk to a career advisor or a tutor or parent or you know any sort of guidance person to be able to even find out what's available and then you are just looking for jobs and applying for jobs that are advertised and these days it's like there's like a duality in that dialogue in that people still apply and look for jobs obviously but people also get headhunted for jobs a lot and because they can put their portfolios online and have a really active Instagram following and websites are much easier to build and much less expensive and all of those sorts of things so it is really a different landscape so yeah I, I definitely relate to you in that yeah. sense of you do just stumble along going well what can the arts offer me as far as work goes and fulfillment goes yeah. and career and you couldn't really Google what how to make a career at that point. Obviously, the internet was there. You know, I'm 35, but the internet was was available. But it's not like it is now. And it, it's your immediate people, your t- your teachers, your family that are like, well, how about this? Or but now you connect with somebody across the world, and they could advise you on. <laughs> on all these things and you can just reach so many people now yeah there's definitely so much richness to come from it and also things that alarm me a lot and yeah I'm sure you're the same like just having scraped through in that generation we kind of get the best of both worlds because we experienced a life without it but then now we can explore it fully as well as everyone else yeah sometimes I still feel left behind with technology (laughs) yeah I think that's the essence of technology isn't I don't think you're ever meant to feel caught up unless maybe you work for (laughs) a tech giant (laughs) I think an insatiable appetite keeps the consumer active so you're definitely not alone so you were sort of dabbling in illustration work a little bit um and then what else happened along your journey and then I mean at the time you know I needed money So I started working in a university. I was in the student services. So I was working with in pastoral care and supporting the students with financial troubles and uh, mental health. And so that's kind of how I got into the, the taking care of people and the healing side. But there's only so much you can do within that structure of university. And while I was at uni, I started while I was uh, working there, I started going to to yoga with my mom and at the time 2011 2012 
there wasn't that much yoga about. It was still very elusive and a bit like, oh, what's this? And when I was younger, I was kind of obsessed with being healthy. And my mom had bought me a book and it was like, oh, there's yoga and but I didn't know what it was so we started going to a class together that was it really it was there was something about it it hooks you in and I didn't realize at the time what what it was and how and the spiritual side of it it was just I this makes me feel really good this makes me feel connected to my body this makes me appreciate my body and then I met a teacher who was very spiritual and brought that into their teaching and I was like ah I love this <laughs> still couldn't really explain it but there's just something about it so I did a foundation in yoga to learn more about it didn't really think that I would teach it just wanted to learn more and deepen my own practice as well I decided to do my teacher training and that was local to me which was really good and again at the time there wasn't that much there weren't that many studios around there weren't that many teacher trainings around it's really boomed in the past few years and I think with the pandemic as well and that was kind of the start of me teaching but my confidence was so low I had a very low self-esteem and yoga helped me to find that confidence and my teacher training helped me with that as well and I guess it kind of gave me purpose which is really nice um (laughs) yeah and then I thought I'm going to start teaching, but I wanted to start with beginners. But I set up a class on a Thursday morning and the people that came were in their 60s. They were retired. They were older. So that's kind of how I've started working with older adults. That's <laughs> that's kind of the journey. And then over lockdown, I got into somatics and learning more about that and learning more about trauma in our body. And that's brought me to here. Yeah, I saw that you are starting to um, weave through that training that you're undertaking in trauma and somatic informed practice. And it's so interesting, I think, sometimes embarking on like more study because sometimes it's just a further distilling and articulation of what we've already experienced by practicing something because it sounds like you've had so much personal benefit from your yoga practice. So then to continue to extend your knowledge and so you're working a lot with an older population my curiosity about working with an older population is my experience is that sometimes that age bracket like you know 70s and older people can find it hard to engage with new and really challenging mediums and I think yoga and art practice can fall in that challenging category the mediums ask a lot at any age that can be really confronting you know if you haven't done much yoga if you haven't had any exposure to yoga practice for example or you've been out of exercise for a long time or you're at a phase in your life where you're learning to understand your body as it's changed which I think is that older age bracket is you go you shift into a different phase of your life where your body does things slightly differently to what it used to do and you know a lot of people start to juggle other health concerns so it's interesting to work with groups and classes of those people because I imagine until they get to know you and they get to know what you can offer and what the mediums can offer it takes a lot of courage to turn up and show up and it's how is that how is that like when you start a new group of any age but particularly maybe an older age group where they haven't had any exposure to yoga and perhaps been educated in a way that art making is for people who are talented or a minority of people coming along and saying well it can be done by anyone and it's all about participation and enjoyment and give it a go like how is that experience yeah. for you? it's yeah I mean I maybe it's the way that I come across 
maybe it's the way that I explain things, um, that it is a very open, playful, expressive, the way that I teach, you know, it's not about coming and doing what I can do. It's about coming and doing what you can do. And actually, it is quite challenging reaching people who are 60 plus because a lot of them don't use social media. So I take out a lot of leaflets and I do a lot of leaflet drops and it's about engaging with people in the community face to face and also word of mouth. I think because I've I've been doing these classes for four or five years, people know me now. But I think when you get older, you know that you need to do something. Mm. They need to feel better in their body. They need to move. They need to build strength. They they need to support their minds as well. So I think the people that come, you can't force people to come to a class. They have to make that decision for themselves. And that's like anybody at any age. You have to make that choice and just trust that it's going to be something that you want to do. <laughs> um, but also it's okay if you don't, if you come to an art class and it's not for you, you just try something else. And there's so many things out there. I would say just try it though and see. I always get, you know, I have conversations with people first they phone me, we email, we talk to each other. So you already have that initial contact and you can hear someone's tone and can tell whether you're going to feel supported or not. It's, I think with the pandemic as well, more people want to get out more. They want to be with people. The lonely side, the loneliness of it has made people go, no, I need to start going to a class. I need to meet my community. So I haven't really had issues in growing classes. I started a new class three weeks ago and I got 11 people signed up. Oh, wow. It's interesting to kind of think of the results of the, the last couple of years and how it has driven people to maybe reassess what their needs are and brought back down to earth, I guess, in that time is limited and our health isn't always guaranteed. So it's lovely, yeah, that this, like what you're offering is available to people to be able to access and then you make it very clear across all of the content that I see that it's a very welcoming and nurturing space for anyone of any ability which is so lovely because I think the practice itself, yoga itself and art making itself isn't discriminatory. It is a non-judgmental space. I know that people really struggle with it. That is one of the biggest things. Most people that come to my classes or come to my workshops, my yoga and art workshops, there is a fear, there is a barrier. I think maybe I'm just quite good at getting people to have a go. <laughs> Because I'm so open with it and I'm like, have a go, ask me questions. And I and I go around and I give everybody individual support. And it, it is about expressing yourself and playing and taking the seriousness away from it. So it's not an art workshop where we are going to learn how to paint this thing. Some of my workshops have been like that. And that's just not, it doesn't feel right to me. I don't want to tell somebody how to paint like me it's getting people to paint like themselves and learn about the paints and understand the mediums as well and how to use them and the different ways that you can use them and getting back into that childlike mindset of just having a go and also thinking back you know where does that come from why do I feel this way about art? Why do I feel like it's not for me? And the same with moving your body. I think the problem is there's so many pictures out there of yoga, of young people doing yoga and doing the splits and back bends and, you know, and that puts a lot of people off. So I consciously avoid putting pictures of myself doing yoga poses because I don't want somebody to compare themselves to me. And I use pictures of my of the people that come to my classes because that's what people relate to. It can be challenging and people will feel what they feel. 
if they still if they still feel like they can't do it they will feel that but I really invite you to think where does that come from why do I think that is it true because it could be your art teacher at school that said you're not very good who were they to say that you're not very good art is subjective (laughs) if it makes you feel good that's your art your art is your art but I think the problem is now is having Instagram and people feeling like they have to share their art and seeing so much online and being like but my art won't ever look like that I thought well that's all right your art is your art and you keep it for yourself you don't have to show anyone yeah absolutely trying to re-empower people to take ownership of their work and yeah this othering that this you know putting it out into the world and on a platform instantly reduces that connection that people have it's like becomes a dialogue with everyone else not just yourself anymore and I think that's similar with people and their bodies been an ongoing challenge for most of us to reclaim the sense that you know our bodies are our own and they can look the way that they need to look rather than what someone's prescribed ideals are so it's great to hear that you're so careful about what sort of imagery you put out mindful of what sort of messaging that has because there has been a real and it's getting better but until quite recently there wasn't much diversity in people that were represented and that's something that came up a lot over lockdown it's something that I started to think am I am I the right person to to be teaching yoga um so that's been something that's been in my mind for quite a while and that you know it's not the reason that I'm shifting into somatics I just find it really interesting but it's finding a way of being able to teach people and guide people and support people without appropriating another practice and so that's something that is in my mind quite a lot and have you brought that out into conversation with other people that have a stronger cultural connection and a heritage with yoga practice it would be interesting to chat for you to chat with people you know and a multitude of people obviously because a singular person will have a a, you know their own opinion or their own perspective but it would be interesting to if you ever get the opportunity to somehow reach out to people that have that cultural heritage and that um, lineage with yoga practice and what their perception is of people of other cultures and nationalities learning the practice and teaching it i guess that's that's just something i'll be working through So it's, yeah, a really interesting, interesting topic to space to sit in is to constantly reflect on a healing practice and a body of knowledge and who's qualified, in quotation marks, to talk about and teach it. And you sort of find yourself bouncing around depending on the setting you're in. Sometimes you're like, you question yourself and then other times you can really argue, well, I'm helping people and I'm being mindful. Yeah. And I, and I guess I've, I have that with, you know, me teaching art in a way that is therapeutic, but I'm not an art therapist. One Mm. of my best friends is a trained art therapist. And, you know, when I was starting to do these art workshops, I I had to ask myself, you know, am I, where is the boundary here? What is the difference between that trained art therapist and what I'm doing so that's been interesting you know I'm really conscious that people understand that I'm not an art therapist it is about using your body and and using art as part of your healing yeah and I think it's like that recognizing your scope of practice because it's so much more useful to open up dialogue rather than retract it when we're looking at who's qualified who's qualified and who's entitled and it is a really complex area when it comes to cultural appropriation because you you don't want to take podiums that aren't yours to speak on um by any means like you have to be so careful but i think there is also room for collaboration and extending of 
knowledge in a careful way and in a way that's just clear about limitations. And I think the more people that are interested in something and interested in helping each other and, and healing, yeah, it's possible. And I think, you know, for me, I've, I just, I love what I'm learning about somatics and the nervous system and, you know, what we hold in our bodies. I think that is something that I really love learning about and supporting people with because I a lot of the people that I teach you know they they have health conditions as well so it really helps them Um, and I do a lot of one-to-ones with people as well and getting people to reconnect with their body because I spent years being very disconnected from my body and not listening to it and not understanding its needs so that's kind of the route that I want to go down yeah there are plenty of amazing teachers out there that can teach spiritual practice of yoga and maybe I'm moving away from that in in a sense I think it needs to have the hard conversations and to be messy about it and to not always be able to have an answer I think just to be constantly moving in our own practice is a really lovely thing to sort of be able to over the years evolve who you work with and how you work and where work takes you somatics isn't something I'm actually a very, very familiar with that word it's not something I've heard used a lot in Australia and I might just be a little bit about it out of touch at the moment yoga is really well practiced here and so is Pilates but somatics is not really a term that I've heard used so could you just briefly describe maybe a little bit what somatics means to you and the differences maybe between that and yoga yeah so somatics um is body focused practices that can help you to reconnect with your body in a safe and stable way it can help you release trauma that you might be holding in your body um and that can be anything you know from big experiences of trauma to little experiences it's all how you how you respond to it and how you hold on to it and what your nervous system does so for example the pandemic some people did have a visceral reaction to it and they really held on to that and I know that towards the end I think towards the end of 2021 I started to notice that I was getting more anxious and I was really worrying about lots of things and that was my I didn't feel safe. I felt, you know, nothing felt secure. I was worried that I was going to lose my business. You know, finances were difficult. There's, And all of that was in me. So when I started really practicing somatics, when I uh, started working with a mentor, that has been the biggest shift for me, helping me to understand when I'm feeling something, how it shows up in my body, where I hold on to it and what practices are going to help to to move that out of me so it could be things like shaking um rocking if you think about an animal when an animal is uh being chased or hunted when that comes to an end they shake and that shakes out that trauma in their body it's a trauma response but we don't tend to do that as humans we just hold it keep it in there we don't talk about things we don't process our emotions but with with somatics, it's not it's a bottom up approach to therapy. So you're going through your body rather than the top down talk therapy. Both are great. Both can work. But if you have experienced trauma that you don't want to talk about or that you can't talk about or that you can't remember, it's going through your body to I'm getting triggered by something. What's happening? Where do I feel it? And looking at the story, uh, making a connection to what might be happening in your immediate environment that is bringing that on because you don't you might not know 
why it's not like it's being you know the thing that happened to you back then is probably not happening to you in that moment but you are your nervous system is going hang on a minute we don't feel safe here something's happening I don't trust this situation so it's recognizing that and yeah using those body focused practices oh it's fascinating this <laughs> yeah I can see your passion and uh, so lovely yeah. just I think it's really interesting to hear about it because it sounds like a very quite a directive approach of mapping our bodies and where we store our energy and our experiences and appropriately trying to move them through when they get stuck I can sort of see those differences now you've said that between that and yoga practice yoga practice kind of inherently sort of does some of that yeah I was gonna say yoga can be a somatic practice anything can be a somatic practice dancing can be a somatic practice it's the intention behind it. So if you go to a class, a yoga class, and you get told to stand in a warrior two, and you're just making that shape, but you're not really in your body, you're not really feeling it, you're not, you're just breathing because you're being told to do it. That's not a somatic practice. Mm. That is, I'm being told to do this. So I'm doing it. I don't really know why. Don't understand. Can't feel it. <laughs> It's the intention of scanning your body, becoming aware internally, making those little adjustments. So, you know, so for example, if you've got a shoulder injury, but you're in warrior two, your arms are reach out, out wide. And that shoulder injury is all you can focus on. And it's really tensing up and it's really painful. And you're not thinking about anything else and you're holding your breath and everything is just horrible in that moment with somatics it's really noticing okay what can I do here to soften that area what can I do to to release that maybe it's bringing my hand down maybe it's relaxing my arm maybe it's you know moving out of the shape maybe this isn't for me does that make sense yeah absolutely I imagine for some people it's quite a slow process of relearning that ability to and tolerate our body because often we separate from our bodies and we distance ourselves from practices because they are really uncomfortable or like you said previously yeah. really triggering so I'm sure involves a lot of supporting people to build a sense of safety and figuring out a pace that works for the individual and doing it alongside um, practitioners that are knowledgeable can fall into these traps of doing things and thinking that we're getting the full benefit so like you said going to a yoga class and standing in one warrior two pose is going to give us some benefit like it's you know we're there we're stretching our body we're taking deep breaths we're next to people you know we're in a calm hopefully a calm unless you go to one of those yoga classes where they bounce out the music but um hopefully we're in a calm soothing environment so there's benefit but like you said you can deepen that benefit and make it more attuned to your individual needs and part of a bigger narrative if you learn to recognize how is this working for me is it working for me what do I need right now um, and what is my body telling me I'm communicating yeah. I think of us lose that connection with our body which is the interesting thing in that you do both art and somatic and yoga practices because I think for a lot of people when they do come to art classes they are actively seeking a connection with a part of themselves that they have lost relationship with so obviously with somatics you've lost it or it's been inhibited by trauma or something else as a disconnect from your body um with art making there's often a disconnect with a whole range of things but it can be playfulness and it can be inner knowing and self-expression and creativity 
just even just as simple as that people feel disconnected from their creativity and they're seeking it but they don't really know how i'd love to hear a little bit more how you connect the two just in, in it can be in quite a literal way i'm so curious about if you've played around with like the sequencing for example if you find it doesn't matter which way you do it but when you do a workshop or a day retreat where they are doing art activities as well as yoga or somatic activities do you find one benefits the other if it comes before have you experimented with that at all or the way that they have relationship with each other i always start with a yoga practice a physical practice or a somatic practice and then going into a yoga nidra a long guided meditation and then going into art when i did my yoga nidra training that sparked this idea of how yoga and movement and yoga nidra and meditation could help with your creativity so when I started doing them online I always started with the yoga nidra because it was that helping to make you more receptive to making art so kind of getting out of your way getting out of your own head now that I know about somatics I would always get people to move a little bit first to help release any holding any tension if they want to be still that's fine you can be still but even just just a little bit of gentle movement to help you connect to your body start to connect to your breath move out of that headspace of like oh what am I going to do maybe I'm anxious this is going to be bad you know whatever it is or even just the kind of day that you've had before you turned up you know it's bringing you into your body and into the space and then with yoga nidra other practices can do this meditation and sound baths and I'm doing a collaboration with someone who runs sound baths and we're going to do sound bath and art next month so that's exciting because it has a similar impact on the brain helps you get to a place where you are you're not overthinking and you know you can create an acceptance of where you are and maybe you set an intention that I allow myself this space to be creative no matter what comes up you know it might be things like that it's creating a more receptive mindset at least have a go so I actually haven't done it the other way around. <laughs> I haven't done the art first. And maybe I will, maybe I'll experiment with it. But I just feel like the 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 yoga, the somatic practice and then and the yoga nidra or meditation or sound bath has to come first. But I'm open to exploring it. I'd say that's an innate knowing, I think, yeah, from just from your all your all the work you've done and the training you've done is just knowing that that's the order it needs to unfold in. And I think from my perspective, I, it makes sense as well. You know, like you said, so much of engaging with art is getting into that flow state and letting go, giving yourself permission. And I think working with the body is a is a good way to get there, a really healthy way of getting there. And, and I think I think for some artists, they they use that whatever state they are in, they will use that for their art. But that's because they know, they understand, they're used to practicing, they're used to doing art. So using your emotions to create art, for example, you might be used to doing that. So it feels more natural to sit down in front of a blank piece of paper and just go, I'm going to make art based on how I feel. But if you're not used to that, if you're not, if you don't class yourself as an artist, you need that space to get into your body and out of your mind in a, in a, in a way. It's an interesting question. Definitely ask other creatives because I think there'd be a diverse range of answers. I think like you said, some 
can use agitation and despair and you know frustration and all sorts of kind of high energy emotions intense emotions I should say to fuel their expression but a lot of people I have met over the years have also shared experiences of needing to be regulated emotionally regulated to be able to create and yeah and that's me yeah I'm I'm that person if I'm anxious if I'm worried about something I can't sit down and paint it just it's stuck because then I overthink what I'm trying to create and what I'm trying to paint the art itself is good for that I mean that's becoming more and more common knowledge of and art making can help calm and soothe and like the coloring and movement for example was like you know a big well-known you know popular modality for people to soothe themselves in the evening and people that had chronic anxiety were recommended you know to take it with them to weight rooms or at home or school or wherever it was as like this addition to their sensory toolbox that could be supportive of anxiety but actually getting into it is the tricky bit because it can be help helpful when it's applied um, but getting to the application point is really hard and I think I would agree with you when I'm anxious I find it really really difficult to be creative once I am creative it's really healthy and good for me but getting there and breaking down that barrier is like a real struggle and I think yeah movement and somatics and yoga can be a really nice tool to get through that first barrier and a really nice coupling together so I'm excited to see where your practice and your business takes you because I think there's so many amazing populations and groups of people that will benefit from what you're doing it'll be interesting to see where I am a year from now even just a couple of months from now everything's I don't feel like I know exactly what's going to happen obviously nobody does but you know you can have these goals and ideas of, of what you want and I have those but it could all change you know at one point I really thought I was going to be a kids yoga teacher <laughs> and now that is that is that's not going to happen I haven't got time <laughs> yeah it's interesting how life can unfold that way isn't it we have expectations yeah must hold them loosely because it always ends up at what we expect but there's always time as well and sometimes we park an idea and it comes back later and sometimes we never look back um because yeah we find ourselves in a place we didn't expect but it's so enriching yeah you, you can still sometimes see the seeds and it's interesting that you were speaking about your pastoral pastoral work at university and how you started working and walking alongside people that were having struggles and mental health struggles uh, and yeah that kind of at the time I'm sure you're kind of like oh I'm not really sure what I'm doing and I don't can't see a long-term like projection of my career but now I'm sure you look back and you're like oh that was a major piece in the puzzle. I had no idea I would end up here I never thought that I would run my own business or be successful at it <laughs> it's it's been a great a great journey hard at times mm. and a lot of the time I'm like what am I doing <laughs> but I feel more settled now which is is really nice I think there are times where I'm like oh I wish I was an artist you know because that is that is me from when I was little you know being a full-time artist would be amazing but I love what I do working with people close to people and I bring art in I am so happy that I combined the two and I started doing that because I never feel I don't feel unfulfilled. And I still, you know, people still commission me. I just painted a kraken on someone's bathroom wall. I'm like, <laughs> I am an artist. Yeah, and it's just reframing that, isn't it? And this, like, sense sometimes that we think we it's all or nothing. Would it be better if I was doing this all the time? But by the sounds of it, a bit of both is good. Like a bit of an independent artist time just for yourself 
sounds like it will, it's really healthy, but then having a practice where you're engaged with people and supporting people on their journey. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I've been through that period of time where I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be an artist. And I, closed my Etsy shop and I you know I was still going to paint and draw I just wanted it to be for me but yeah I found a really nice balance with it now I could never give it up completely and I love helping other people express their creativity watching people make something when they initially come in and they're like I'm really scared I don't know what to do I'm really bad and the change and at the end they're like look what I did they they think oh it's not very good but I'm really proud of it and that, oh, that just fills me with so much joy. I'm like, go! <laughs> that's so lovely. Finding people with just that experience. That's how we impact the world is just giving people alternative experiences where they're completely accepted and nurtured. And we don't know what other experiences that people have had. Like you said earlier, those voices that might be playing out in people's heads, whether it's their own or whether it's a previous art teacher or whether it's a judgment from someone else. And then you're counteracting that with an alternative narrative of, you know, you're welcome here and you can make art here and it just needs to be for you. And that is such a gift to be able to give people that empowerment over. You can work with your body and you can work with art making in your healing journey or in just your wellness journey. It's huge. Yeah. I like to finish my podcast episodes with the same three questions. And the first one is, what is your go-to nurturing Activity. So usually creative activity, but it can be anything. It's usually painting of some kind, watercolours or acrylic. At the moment, I'm really into abstract. I never used to be, but there's just something. What I need right now is just that freedom to make splodges and colours and shapes and not necessarily have an idea of what it is. Um, I always come back to painting, though. But I, with the somatic practice I check in first now I'm like what do I need right now so it's not there's never that one thing that will because sometimes I might sit down and go actually I'm really I feel really anxious about painting right now for some reason so it might be that I need to dance it might be that I need to go outside and be in nature which I see as being creative you know looking around and taking in almost like taking a a mental picture photography but in the mind lovely all of those things sound really good (laughs) really good really nourishing the other question to follow that I guess would be what is your main barrier you find to your creativity so any ways that you find you try and overcome it I mean negative self-talk and procrastination I, I think for me the barrier is perfectionism I am a perfectionist and I'm working through that you're a recovering recovering perfectionist there we go (laughs) and I think that's why I'm moving to the abstract stuff at the moment and that's why I'm into that because there isn't this perfect thing I mean you can finish an abstract painting and go oh I really like that but it's just being I just I'm getting messy with it whereas certain types of illustration painting can be you know about it being a certain way and looking a certain way and that that worry that I'm going to sit down and do something that is going to be rubbish. That's quite hard. But I think that came more from when I was trying to sell art and do craft markets and, and my Etsy shop. That perfectionist was, perfectionism was, was there more so then. But now I'm being a bit more, a bit freer with it. And yeah, working through that negative self-talk. 
I think time can be a barrier as well. There's just not enough time. It's allocating. You have to allocate time to to make art and life flies by. Yeah, it's hard when you're running a business. (laughs) I think the nice thing about the work we do, though, is that we're helping other people, but we also end up helping ourselves because, like you said, you know, you're teaching people to challenge their negative self-taught all the time in your workshops. And so you end up having to apply the same to yourself where you give yourself grace and compassion and gently redirect yourself constantly yeah you have to do the work yourself to be able to support other people hard (laughs) and it's ongoing I don't think it ever ends no it doesn't (laughs) we can sort of think oh we should be further along but I think everybody is in the same boat a lifelong journey dealing with our minds and our own critical thinking my last question was if you have a creative dream or goal at the moment or any time, not just right now, but what is one that you'd like to share with everyone? Because there are two sides to me. The artist who being a full-time artist would be amazing, but actually do I really want that? That's probably not a dream. I think because I love what I do so much with with the somatics and the art. I think making it accessible and running more retreats and weekend retreats that are accessible for people and running group sessions online. I think more focus on the play element of it but just really having the space for people to get messy and to really play with it and connect with their inner child that's yeah that's the a creative dream just got to find somewhere that doesn't mind me throwing paint around (laughs) yeah so if we rate art studio art and somatic studio might pop up in the next few years oh imagine I'll put it out there to the universe. I think it yeah. should happen. <laughs> oh, it would be messy. <laughs> yeah, and also the ability to hire a full-time cleaner to support. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the floor in my studio is covered in paint and, you know, if I ever have to sell this, <laughs> they're just going to have to get a carpet. It adds to the patina, the patina of a, um art studio, all the stories yeah. that Flex can tell. And also, I think having if, if somebody walks into a space that is so clean and and pristine, it stops people from then feeling like they can do it and have a go. Be like it's okay if you get it. Yeah, it's okay if you get it on the walls. It's okay if you get it on the floor in this space. <laughs> you do what you want in your own home. <laughs> yeah, giving people permission is really lovely to be able to do that. We don't have many situations where we get that permission. So being able to give it to someone. In my last workshop, we noticed that people were saying, oh, can I move on to the canvas now? Can I, you know, really asking? And I, you know, I was very open with you can do whatever you want on this canvas and on this paper. And But a lot of people were saying, can, can I? And it's that and it is that permission and breaking that down. So good that people ask, because so often you sometimes you don't realise until too late because it's so familiar to you. And then people aren't asking they're just kind of keeping their thoughts inside and then you don't realize until you know towards the end of the workshop when you're like oh did you not feel like painting in your canvas and they're like oh no I didn't think I could yeah I get so excited when people feel like they can at least ask even if they can't feel confident to just do it without permission but now I also try and remind myself regularly when I'm a facilitator to yeah increase the dialogue people they have all of these things and oh maybe you want to move on to your canvas now and yeah, that's actually a really good point. And before we finish up, where can people find you? So if anyone wants a kraken painted on their bathroom <laughs> or 
to come to one of your lovely workshops, classes, retreats? What's the best way to find you? So I have a website that is www.sophierayyoga, so Ray, R-E-Y, yoga.co.uk. I'm based in Birmingham in the UK and I have an Instagram, which is sophierayyoga underscore art. Um, And I'm on Facebook, Sophie Ray Yoga. Head to my website. I'm there. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you so much for making the time to chat with me today. And we'll definitely keep in touch and hopefully have you back on and hear the next evolution of your space. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been great. I feel less nervous now. (laughs) Although I can't stop smiling. My cheeks hurt. (laughs) Oh, that's good. It has been so enjoyable. It's been so lovely. Thank you for listening to another episode of Art Muse. If you enjoyed the podcast, there are three ways you can support it. The easy way is to review, share or subscribe using your listening platform. The second way is to donate a Ko-fi using the Ko-fi platform. A great way to support any creatives registered on the site, it's a once-off donation equivalent to a cup of coffee, particularly fitting for me as I don't actually drink coffee. The third way is you can use one of the affiliate links when purchasing your art materials. I'm affiliated with Jackson's or Riot Art and Craft. Using the links means I get a small portion of the sale and it will all help to keep the podcast up and running and thriving. I am super appreciative of any support and I'll include each of those methods in the show notes or show description. Also, one last thing while I have you, I love dialogue with the ArtMuse community, so feel free to get in touch via Instagram at artmuse underscore podcast or email at hello sunflowerandivy.com.au.